In the fall each year we all congregate The bound all gathered at the church of Pilgrim The scriptures reading from the book of Monson Our favorite verse, my God, a precious Drunk and obnoxious, what Georgia faith Ain't nothing finer in the land Now the 3,000 of our best friends It's Saturday in that thing Welcome to the Saturday in Athens podcast. I'm your host, Seth Saunders, and we are just thrilled today to be joined by George Somerville of the College Chaps podcast. Had the pleasure of meeting George this summer at Media Days in Nashville, and just uh, so jacked up to have you on the show, brother. Welcome. Hi, Seth. Um, yeah, it's great to be with you. Um, it, it was just fantastic to be in Nashville earlier this year, and I got to meet so many people so many people who've been on our podcast but also new people like yourself and then it's been great to you know reciprocate over the last um last couple of weeks and just you know branch out into a whole new um audience it's fantastic so thanks for having me on yeah and y'all were kind enough to invite me on to y'all's show and i had a blast on there and speaking of the college chaps podcast quite the guest this week one of our all-time favorites on our show miss laura rutledge was on and can we just say like of all the people that you've met across college football media, NFL media, whatever it may be, is there anyone kinder and more gracious than Laura Rutledge? No, no, there's not. Um, that was I don't I don't don't wish to show off, but that was the sixth time that Laura's been a guest on our podcast, and um, we met. Uh, oh, it's quite good being on on Saturday in Athens podcast. We met first of all in Athens back in 2019, um, and. Um, it's quite it's an interesting story. In so far, I'd never met Laura before. We we just we we our, cro- our paths crossed. We got chatting about football. She wanted to know why I was in Athens, um, but she immediately hooked on the accent. And uh, it turns out that her father has Scottish heritage, and therefore Laura has Scottish heritage. And she had just been to, I think at that point, um, Reese had just been born. But the year before, they'd been across in Scotland with her family to, to you know find out where the roots are from and all that kind of stuff so we instantly had a had a connection and when I got back home you know we kept in touch and and then um we we got her on the podcast for the first time and she's been such a <clears throat> fantastic supporter of our podcast to be perfectly honest I, I, much of the success that that we've had um wouldn't have happened without without Laura as you know um being in Nashville um we we found out that Greg Sankey listens to the podcast, and it was Laura who had, um, you know, casually put her name into the conversation. And before you know it, um, we've got the commissioner listening to it. So, yeah, no, she's just an amazing person and such a great uh, advocate for for what we do. But you know, just goes out of her way to help people. Oh, how cool is that? I love every piece of that story. I mean, I, I knew that you had interacted with Commissioner Sankey and like. He had said they listened to the show and you got to do some, have a cool piece of your road trip post Nashville because of that. And what a neat link that Laura uh, had been the one that turned him on to. And I mean, to be honest with you, not shocking at all, right? Like uh, she just is, she's good to the core, man. I just was so impressed when we had our interaction with her and yeah, she's, she's top notch, man. And plus the other piece, she does an outstanding job. I mean, yeah. um, 
the work she does on that show and her depth of knowledge. And I love her backstory with how she got started in covering college football. And yeah, she's uh she's aces for sure. Uh, well, on that vein, I do want to ask you, cause we didn't really get to talk about this a ton when, when I was in Nashville with you or when I came on your show, but I want to ask you about Athens. So tell us your impressions of your visit to the classic city and the university of Georgia and what you thought about the atmosphere there and, and what your takeaways were. Well, I, I loved Athens, right? Um, and uh, that road trip, <clears throat> I'd been to the South before. Um, the first time I was, I've been to South a couple of times actually, but I'd been to the kind of um, uh, Tuscaloosa, I'd been to Oxford, um, I'd been down into New Orleans. Uh, <clears throat> but the second time I got to the, the, the South, uh, we started. We started off actually in 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 Tuscaloosa um, because we were there for the LSU Alabama game. You know the twenty nineteen you know game of the century or whatever you want to call it. Um, and we we done yeah. we done a road trip round about the south and purposely we'd finished up in in Athens, uh, which was the um, I think Texas A and M game. <clears throat> and um, so, long story short, um, I started writing about college football. I don't know, maybe five or six years ago. And the very first person I interviewed for the website I write for was Rodrigo Blankenship. Um, and um, we, we got, we got chatting on, on the, you know, on, on that. And um, we kind of kept in touch with the university of Georgia. And um, when I told them I was coming, they said, well, you'll come and come and have a look. And um, <clears throat> I don't know if you know Leland Barrow, but um, I struck up a friendship with Leland and he's such a, and, you know, you talk, you talk about Laura, and she's just an incredible person. But but what I've found across the South, Seth, is everybody's just so nice. Everybody goes out of their way yeah. to help you. Uh, the, 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 the Southern hospitality is a real thing. Um, you know, mm -hmm. it's not just there as a marketing ploy. It's a, it's a real thing. And um, so on that trip, Leland um, took me around the, well, what I thought was the super cool um, a training facility, a practice facility at Bucks Mayor. Um, which is now even more fantastic, um, and then yeah. it, uh, um, you know took took us into the stadium, and we had a we had a you know a kind of wander around the stadium, and and that super impressive locker room that um, that that they that they have. But my uh, my takeaway from Athens was just, it, I think it is my favorite college town, and um, there's just something about it. There's an atmosphere about it. It's it's just effortlessly cool. The whole everything, um, the people, the food, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, um, I'm not saying that just because I'm on um, uh, an Athens-based podcast, um, but uh, I loved it, and I actually got the chance to bump into Leland when uh, at, at, at media days um, because he was there with the, the the team, but he was kind of shadowing Brock Bowers. Um, and uh, I have to confess, I saw very little of Brock Bowers and spent a lot of time talking to Leland. But um, yeah, the, <laughs> the, the, the people the people in Athens are just awesome. Yeah, it's, it's such a neat town. And, and to your point, I feel like if you went to every town in the Southeastern Conference, right, and I asked you the same question, you could probably tell a similar story about each of those towns. I mean, they all have their own je ne sais quoi, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's the beauty of, of college football in general, whether it's going to Columbia, Missouri and getting Shakespeare's pizza or, you know, whether it's going to Athens and enjoying that town or going to Tuscaloosa and making sure you hit the Ramajammer. Like there's every town has, has its thing and, and they all just have this beautiful character. And I think it's why we're all so not just enamored with college football, but with the Southeastern Conference 
in general. Um, I want to ask you this, and this may seem like a weird question, but I'm sure you've seen all of these uh, different sites posting pictures that have been generated by the AI sites, Mm. like, you know, such and such stadium in their natural environment. And it got me thinking, since we had you on the show, there's obviously an intersections of two footballs in your world, uh, American football and traditional football. So answer me this, if you were going to put SEC football schools as Premier League franchises, wow. how would you place some of them? <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> There's a question, Seth. Thank you very much for putting me on the spot. I mean, <clears throat> the, the thing about, you, you know, I, I, I love the SEC um, and I don't I don't hide that. You know, on, our, on our podcast, you know, I'm the one that flies the SEC banner and the, and the other two. I hope they'll excuse me from from saying that they're they're, they're snobs in that respect, you know. So I um uh, I fly the banner high. So to me, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna try and replicate, I, I've said this many times. SEC is the de facto biggest and best conference in college football, right? I I, I don't mm-hmm. think that's that's up for debate. Um, and what grabs me there is the the passion. The, the history, the rivalries, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, the Big Ten will say they've got the same and all that stuff. But I've been to Big Ten football. Um, I've been to the Michigan Michigan State game. Um, you know, there was one hundred and ten thousand people in there. That that did not compare well with uh, Alabama LSU at Bryant Denny in twenty nineteen when President Trump was there. That the, the the comparison was just not there. So. <clears throat> Um, you know, I hope people excuse me for for you know banging on about um, how how good and how different SEC football is. So I think when you look at the um, I think you, you know, the, the the big teams, the, the the Georgias of this world, then you know they they're they're up there with the you know the, the Manchester Cities or um, you know I'd, I'd love to I'd love to use the analogy of Manchester United because I don't know how familiar you are with with, with Premiership football, but. Manchester United have got such a storied history to them. Mm-hmm. They're maybe not going through quite the, the the success that they've had before, but you know, for, for someone like me, a, a Scotsman like Alec Ferguson, who just had unparalleled success with them, you know, Manchester United got massive um, a history and support to them, and that's why they're they're known worldwide. And I think Premiership's done quite well in the last five years about getting their, you know, their brand out there. Um, yeah. And I don't, I'd sorry, I don't think I'm comparing Georgia with Manchester United. I'm not. Um, I think Georgia have to sit up there with, you know, the Manchester cities of this world. Um, and then, you know, <clears throat> where are we after that? Uh, Alabama probably in around the um, Liverpool Arsenal kind of, um, in many ways, almost there's a good parallel in with Manchester United because there's a lot of debate about whether Alabama, the dynasty, is starting to slide a little bit. Um, and um, it, it does strike me, without uh, without labouring this point uh, for too long, I, I don't envy the person who takes over from Nick Seven because the person Ooh. or the persons who yeah. took over from Alex Ferguson, they're still trying to find the right coach, right? Um, yeah. And he's been away yeah. for I don't know how many years. So... Uh, you know, I think when you've got a legacy there, that that's a hugely that's a, that's a, almost a poison chalice to take to to take over. Um, um, the funny the funny one would be Ole Miss. I'm not quite sure where Ole Miss might sit in the in the parallels of the of the <laughs> Premier League. We have to think about that one a little bit. But um, you know, Tottenham Hotspur. I mean, Tottenham Hotspur are um, 
they've got this fantastic stadium which the NFL's just visited for a couple of times, but um, they're they're always there or thereabouts, but never quite, you know, always the always the bridesmaid and never the bride. Is that the is that the analogy? Yeah, so that's right. Yeah, so maybe that's right. maybe that's where all miss it. But um, yeah, there's some some interesting comparisons. That's for sure. So I want your opinion on this because it struck me. I had the opportunity to spend some time abroad in college and I lived in Florence for about five months. And so I spent a number of weeknights and most every Sunday going to Fiorentina games. Mm -hmm. And it was my first experience with European football. And I was struck most by the seeming direct parallels between how we treat football as an event in America uh-huh. and how European football fans treat it there. And I would mm. almost say it's crazier, right? I mean, at Fiorentina, I've told this story before, but the visiting section, there is barbed wire high enough where people couldn't throw things in because that's how adverse the fan relationship is. And when they would score goals, the fight in purple would light off road flares in the fan section. I mean, it's it's just passion at its most visceral nature, mm. right? And I just love that. And so I, when, especially with, with your story and the background of sport from your story, I think it's such an easy transition to grow up loving football in Europe and then find a kinship and a love for American football. I just think the experiences and the buildup and the tension is all really similar. And it's been interesting George, my son is he he loves, 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 and I'll use the other word for it, but loves soccer. Mm-hmm. He's obsessed yeah. with it. It's all he watches on YouTube. He watches highlights of all the different leagues and he practices all the time. He is about soccer, how I was as a child about football and baseball. And it's been neat to watch because it it wasn't something that I had a depth of knowledge in. And so I've gotten to consume it. And we just watched the Beckham documentary on Netflix yeah, and, really and all these type things, right? <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, it's just been fascinating to me. I mean, do you see those parallels between the two cultures that way? Yeah. I, I mean, Seth, I'm, <clears throat> I'm, I'm Scottish and um, I come from Glasgow and Glasgow's got what I believe the biggest rivalry in soccer, right? Um, I, I'm a Glasgow Rangers fan, and across the city, there's the Glasgow Celtic. Um, and uh, if you've ever, um, well, you can YouTube it, right? You'll, you'll see the intensity of that game, and that is proper rivalry. Now, <clears throat> now to be fair, there is a lot of uh, undertones to that um, and because of the way the, 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 the city is. Um, and, and time's not particularly nice undertones. However, if you take those to one side, the rivalry and the passion, the noise uh, is is probably like nothing else that, that people in soccer will, will experience. Um, and I noticed um, uh, Celtic had, um, they're not in the Champions League this year, or, or are they? Um, you know, your Europa League uh, game last night, and the atmosphere was just electric. And the same, same at Ibrox. Um, so I grew up, sorry, that, that's a long-winded way to say, I grew up watching soccer, which was incredibly passionate. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, my, my, my parents wouldn't let me go to what we call the old firm derby game, right? And t- until I was, until I was, I think my first game was maybe... 15 or 16 you you know because you, you just you didn't the, the city is the city is, is segregated in half for that game the police have yeah. a line that splits the city and the, the two fan opposite the fans never meet until they're inside the stadium i mean it's quite an operation <laughs> um 
And um, so, so I think when you're looking at other sports and how I started watching American football was I've got friends in the States. I, I, I traveled to the States for many years um, and uh, we'd go to baseball and stuff like that. And the atmosphere is just, just not there. Right. Um, and uh, on one, one time we were in San Diego and we ended up getting tickets to go and see the, um, the, the Chargers back at the old Qualcomm Stadium. But then, and again, the atmosphere just wasn't there. <clears throat> Um, but it was, but it was good to watch. It was a novelty. It was something that you know it, it picked my interest. I was quite quite keen to to, to try and you know, understand a bit more of it. And it wasn't until traveling back and forward and watching sports on TV when you're over there, um, I could not get my head around the fact that hundred thousand people were watching football. I was like, well, how does this happen? Sorry, college football. We don't have a comparison yeah. here. I, I played university soccer here and. There's more people on this call than there would be watching a university soccer game, right? I mean, just just nobody watches it, so we don't have that comparison. So yeah, um, I could not get my head around it. So that was what really started to entice me in was well, what is this all about? Why do so many people go and watch you know college football? Um, and then when I got down to we, we started to get some games on TV and we, we now, now get college football on TV quite a bit, frankly. We now started we started to get some games on and you're just gripped by the whole thing. And um, at that point, I think Alabama were probably um, at the peak of their their powers. And and you know that's what happens. You, you show the games which are are more popular, right? Um, right. And um, so that, that when we first went to down south, the first game we went to was uh, Ole Miss, and again the atmosphere wasn't it was it was good, but it wasn't it wasn't a big game either. Um, but then getting to um, conversely, twenty fifteen went to Bryant Denny, uh, Alabama <clears throat> played Ole Miss. If you remember, that was the that was the game that Ole Miss went into yeah. Bryant Denny and, and and won. That was back to back wins that that year. Um, and that point, you just gripped by it because you know there's one hundred and three hundred and four thousand people in Bryant Denny all screaming the lungs off. And I'm like, well, this is like being at an old firm game. This is what you know, yeah. this is what the atmosphere is like. So the parallels were were super close at that point. Um, I'm, you know, my big um, uh, my my my, uh, my my bucket list is to get into Tiger Stadium on a Saturday night, right? Because I want I want to yeah. or, or Jordan Hare to, and that that's the beauty. You talked about going to different college towns. You know, now it's how many of these can I actually tick off? How many games can I mm-hmm. can I get to? Which is problematic because if you come across to the states for two weeks on vacation, you can only cram so many Saturdays into that, right? So it's um, yeah, it's difficult. Well, you tell me if you make the pilgrimage to Death Valley for a Saturday night because that is also on my list. So I would be happy to check that off with you. You let me know; I'll be your partner in that endeavor. I will let you know as soon as um, as soon as we get it organized. Um, yeah, yeah, that's the one. I mean, it's not it's not just the only one, but that's. Um, there's other towns I want to get to. I want to get to Fayetteville, you know, see Arkansas. I nearly got to mm-hmm. um, uh, Knoxville when I was down for Nashville, but obviously that wouldn't have been for a game. But again, there's something quite nice just getting in and seeing the towns and what they're like, um, uh, irrespective of whether there's football on. Well, we talked a little about, a bit about this when I came on y'all's show, and it has been from my viewpoint, one of the more fun college football seasons in a long time. And this is my reasoning for saying that. I just think there's so much we don't know, right? And usually by Halloween, we're coming into November, we kind of have a feel who's going to be in the dance and who's going to be participating. And this year, George, 
we don't necessarily know that yet. I mean, there's probably 10, 11, maybe even 12 teams that theoretically could could wear the slipper and get into the dance. And so I've just really enjoyed it from a consumer perspective. I think, too, selfishly as a Georgia fan, it's been a very interesting year because there's been a lot more, I would say, unsettledness than there has been the previous two years. And there's been sort of an angstiness amongst the fans base about, you know, are they what they've been and are we really in the hunt? And I think through we're coming up to week nine now, I think they're dead in the thick of it, man. And I think Brock Bauer's injury is obviously a big hurdle to overcome, but I think the way that Kirby has built that roster, I think they're better set up to weather it than they've ever been. And obviously this four-game stretch, we're going to find out, right? you got to yeah. go to the cocktail party and play Florida. Then you come back home and, and face one of, I think, the better stories in all of college football in Eli Drinkwitz's Mizzou team and the exciting offense that they have. Then you turn around and you got Lane Kiffin coming to town with Ole Miss. Then they head to Knoxville to play uh, Tennessee in a, in a venue that's always tough to go in and get a win in. And so it's, it's just been really, really compelling, which obviously college football always is. But, but this year, I feel like as much as it's been in a long time. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I, I completely agree, Seth. I mean, <clears throat> you know, I, th- I think people want there to be some shake-up in college football, right? Do you, 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 you necessarily want to see a college football playoff which has got the same four teams in it year after year? Well, of course you don't. <clears throat> um, um, the challenge to those teams getting into the college football playoff this year is can you compete? Because we've seen TCU, we've seen Oklahoma, we've seen Notre Dame come into the, the, the top four and just not compete in those kind of semi-final games. Uh, that's, that's a challenge to these teams. Washington, for example, I mean, um, the, the guys on the podcast have been super high on Washington since before, mm-hmm. it, before a ball was kicked in anger. The question mark is, on the assumption they get there, and I think they probably can get there now, um, how competitive are they going to be? Well, one, can they win it? Um but can they get through the semi-final? Um, same with Michigan. We saw what happened last year with Michigan. Everyone was, you know, lauding them to the to the to hilt, um, irrespective of the news that's come out this week. But you know, everyone was bigging Michigan up because everyone likes to big the Big Ten up, uh, and then mm-hmm. they just didn't compete in the semi-final, right? So um, I think um, that that that's the challenge. What I think is super interesting is I think I think Georgia's still flying under the radar. Now that seems like a ludicrous statement to make because they're the number one team in college <laughs> football. But I think there's a lot of shiny objects elsewhere and in people's kind of um quest to find whoever's going to be the next big name, they're looking at mm-hmm. Washington, they're looking at, you know, um well it was USC until a couple of weeks ago. All the stuff that catches it, it, it almost the kind of the, the trendy, sexy pick. The, this is going to this is going to be the team that's going to unseat Georgia. So Kirby Smart therefore gets a little bit of a flying under the radar. But you've just hit the nail on the head. Anyone who says that Georgia's schedule is lighter than it has been in previous years, you look at the next four games, and I challenge any team in college football to play those four games and come away undefeated. Um, and I think that's the that's the, the that's the beauty of the SEC that there aren't any easy games, um, but also the fact that you know I think Georgia's kind of motoring quite well. <clears throat> I, th- I think 
the Brock Bauer situation, a lot of people outside of the programme panicked, um, as you would do, your best player goes down, they're getting Lad McConkey back at the right time, there's other players in mm-hmm. there, uh, Marcus Rosenberg, Jack Zane, you know, players who can step up, <clears throat> because that's the beauty of it, Brock Bowers is just not a tight end and he's not just a wide receiver, so actually what you can do is you can you can maybe become a bit more traditional with your, your tight end in the formation and let your let your receivers come into play. So so actually, I don't, I don't think that's going to be as big of a miss as perhaps people thought. I mean, at, at, at one point, you know, that was it. Georgia might as well just pack up and go home and that that's the end of their season. That's not going to be the case. Um, for me, interestingly, I think the Mizzou game is a huge game. Would we have thought mm-hmm. that a year ago, right? Um, that's yeah. a massive game because Mizzou are just such a great team. Um, I think, I heard your podcast last week, um, I think Ole Miss has actually got the potential to be the banana skin here because you just don't know what yeah. you get with Ole Miss, right? Um, yep. And offensively, they could, they're a real bag of tricks. And it just takes Georgia to be, we know that they've been slow starters this season. It just needs them to be caught off the hop a little bit. Um, you know, say um, uh, Kiffin throws Freudian slip. Kiffin throws a couple of <laughs> trick plays into the star, and maybe Ole Miss goes a couple of couple of um, touchdowns up. Then all of a sudden you're scrambling a little bit. That has potential, I think. It can also go the other way. Georgia could just steamroll them, and you know, by the by the second half, it, the game's over. But I do wonder if that might be the game that everyone has to look out for. I'll tell you this, too, about that stretch, George, and I agree about Ole Miss, and I'll tell you the reason I think that is Jackson Dart is the reason, right? If Georgia's defense has had an Achilles heel at all this year, it's a quarterback who can run and pull it and get to the edge, and they've had some difficulty, I think, in contain in situations like that, and I think Jackson Dart presents that problem. And to your point, I think Lane Kiffin – is the perfect carpenter to use those tools with the way that he calls plays. And so so that one gives me some pause. I will say this. I am happy that the, of the four, those two are the ones at home. Getting Mizzou at home, getting Ole Miss at home, those are much more slippery affairs, I think, if they happen in Columbia and they happen in Oxford. But I think having them between the hedges, that Mizzou game was announced, is going to be a 3.30 kick, which I think is a great time for that ball game. And then I would be shocked if Ole Miss doesn't end up being a night game the following weekend. And so I think it will be really good environments for Georgia. And and this is something – and I'd be interested to talk to a number of people about this just to get their take on it. But it's my feeling that since Kirby has taken over, Sanford has come a, become a different animal mm-hmm. from a home field perspective. I think it really does assert itself and creates three and four false starts a game for these opposing teams that are coming and having to deal with it. So I am happy that both those games will happen there. But yeah, to your point, if you and I had been having this conversation back at the the lunch table in Nashville, we would have said, well, Georgia's gotten to this part of their schedule. They can kind of coast through till Tennessee. It's not going to be that way. I mean, they are entering the meat grinder right now, and they're going to have to figure it out. Um, and, you know, this is this is the, the part of the year, week nine, where we start to kind of really lock in and figure out who teams are. Yeah. And uh, in that vein, I want to pick some games with you, man. So every time we have our guest on, we pick 10 games against the spread – and then the winner of the guest picking challenge at the end of the year takes home the illustrious 
10 pounds of red world wrestling heavyweight title belt. So, uh, so that's what you're playing for. And, um, it is, it is faux alligator skin. So I think you as an Alabama supporter and us as Georgia fans can both get on board with that, with that, uh, association. Well, I hope, I hope you, you, you appreciated the, the, the t-shirt. I, I always play to the home, the home team when I come on a podcast. So I thought, well, yeah. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to play to the home team here. So I, I'll put my allegiance to one side, to be perfectly honest. But yeah, let, let's let's have a go. That's right. I'm not sure how this is going to go, but let's um, let's see. So I sent the list to my co-host as well, and he sent me his picks. He's he's actually had his first granddaughter this week. Fantastic. So big week for him and Absolutely, his family. Yeah, right. So oh. big big congratulations to my co-host and his family. Love love getting that news this morning. But he texted me back and he goes, "Whoo." Had to go deep, deep in the bag to get this one. I said, yes, sir, I sure did. <laughs> I sure did. Well, look, we're going to start tonight with, with, I think, one of the more fun matchups of the week. And it's a game that's kicking at 730 this evening here on the East Coast. And that is Georgia State going to play Georgia Southern in a fun Sunbelt matchup. And we said this on one of our previous episodes. It's hard for me to wrap my brain around Georgia Southern being a team that airs it out. <laughs> but with Clay Helton, that is what they do now. Yeah. I also think this Georgia State team has a really exciting offense. Their premier wide receiver from last season, over 1,000 yards, is now at Louisville this year, running up and down the field in ACC play. So I think they've got a really cool system. That was Jamari Thrash, great player. And um, so, yeah, I think this is a fun matchup. Georgia Southern is a one-and-a-half-point home favorite tonight in Statesboro. How do you like this one? Well, I mean, this is an intriguing one, Seth, right? Um, and both teams have got a lot to, to play for, which is not always the, the, the way of it. I just wonder though, Georgia State—they—they they are now making a run for the for the for the championship game, right? And um, so they've got a lot of momentum on them. Um, they've um, they, they they to me are catching my eye, and I know they're not favourites at this stage, but they're catching my eye more than um, the Eagles. What I think you're, you're right—you touched on there, just in terms of how often do you see see a team that changes their um, offensive formation so radically, right? Um, and, you know, Clay Helton was much maligned at USC. I mean, really was. I mean, he held on to that job for, for much longer than people thought. And I wonder now, are we seeing, you know, what Clay Helton can do and maybe what, what the USC job does to coaches as perhaps maybe happening with Lincoln Riley. So actually I've got, um, I've got Georgia state winning this one, to be honest, but to be, to be fair, the odds are so close that, you know, the Vegas isn't entirely sure how this is going to play out. So this is a toss of a coin, but um, I think um, Georgia state Panthers with the championship game looming, uh, they're already bowl eligible. I think they're going to take this one. Speaking of that, I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent, but the reason that Georgia State and Georgia Southern both still kind of have their eyes on Sunbelt glory is because the best team in the Sunbelt is not eligible for championship competition this year, which is ludicrous yeah. on so many different levels. And I have been saying this and I will keep saying it. For me, I think if you are the president of James Madison University and or the athletic director of James Madison University, you are doing a disservice to your institution and to your fan base by not being on every single media outlet that will have you on and stumping for this to be overturned and to get a waiver. Waivers have been granted in the past. The whole reason for disqualification from postseason play for two years for teams making the jump, at least from what I have researched, is that 
They want to discourage people who aren't ready for making the jump. Mm. Well, clearly, JMU was ready. They would have participated in the title game last year. They're undefeated, and if they stay undefeated and were to be the highest-ranked group of five team, would be a direct uh, berth into the New Year's Six, which is big-time money for that institution. Man, I just think... It is one of the travesties of this season so far, and I want to see it rectified. And so I really, really, really want somebody with the power to do it to start leading that charge for JMU because they deserve it, man. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyways, and I, I tell you all that to tell you, my co-host, James, took Georgia Southern, but I'm with you, brother. I'm taking Georgia State, and I'll tell you why. That offense is similar in some ways to me with personnel and what they like to do to James Madison. James Madison walked the dog on Georgia Southern when they went to Harrisonburg. And, uh, yeah, man, I, I just think this Georgia State team's got something to it. I love the way they play on offense, and I think they go into Statesboro on a Thursday night. And, uh, yeah, the Eagles fans leave home a little bit upset. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm with you. Well, the good, the good thing is we're going to find out quite soon, Seth, right? So we'll, we'll, know, fairly, right. we'll know fairly quickly whether we're right or wrong on yeah. this one. Yeah, we'll know if we're starting 1-0 or if we're in the hole from the jump. So, <laughs> Well, look, this next game on the slate I think would have been a lot sexier and a lot more interesting if Jalen Daniels was going to get to play. But all indications are that with that back injury, he will not take the field on Saturday for the Jayhawks. But Oklahoma is coming to Lawrence to play Kansas, and – Kansas, I don't think, has beaten Oklahoma since the 90s, if I remember correctly. So it's been a long, long time since they've upended Boomer Sooner. Oklahoma, obviously, having a fantastic year. Dylan Gabriel's been outstanding. They had a close call last week against UCF. But Oklahoma is a nine-and-a-half-point favorite going into Booth Memorial Stadium there against Kansas. Who do you like in this one? Yeah, I mean, I think <clears throat> we've got we've got a good friend in the pod, um, Thorne Eystrom, who, um, although he lives way up in the north in Minnesota, um, went to Kansas. Um, so he's a Kansas um, grad. Um, so hopefully he's not listening to this. But you, you're right, this this would have been a, a, a different um, view on life. I mean, obviously, Kansas lost two of the last three. They, they started off the season 4-0. and all. They were actually building on what they did last season. Um, we weren't quite sure what we were going to get from Oklahoma this year, given what happened last year. But Oklahoma have kind of risen eyebrows. Um, and uh, obviously, winning the, the Red River was a massive boost for them. Um, I, I think it's difficult to see beyond Oklahoma because it feels as if the Jayhawks are not got the momentum with them. Um, Oklahoma definitely have. And with a nine-and-a-half-point uh, spread, I can see Oklahoma beating that, to be perfectly honest. I think they could go, go to Kansas and really make a statement. Yeah, my co-host is taking KU and... Same with you. you. You have a good friend. I have three siblings that are graduates <laughs> of KU. Uh, so they will all probably be upset with me. But I, I just think that is a different ball club without Jalen Daniels on your center. And look, Jason Bean has done a very admirable job filling in his shoes and is a really, really good player and really fun to watch. I just think that defense, in order to be successful, has to create a lot of turnovers. And I just think if Oklahoma protects the football – and doesn't make silly mistakes, this game can get out of hand really quickly yeah. uh, because they they have the better Jimmys and Joes. And when I'm tepid about something, that's usually where I go. So I'm going to go Boomer sooner too. I, I think they cover this. I think it's a pretty 
clear sailing cover for them. I would love to be wrong so that my family is all happy on Saturday afternoon. But, uh, yeah, I, I just don't see it. And it's tough, man, because I think, you know, Jalen Daniels was a Big 12 preseason player of the year. So I think Kansas is a completely different bird, pun intended, if he is playing. Um, so, yeah, it's just been a sad thing to watch. But, but I, I think they'll be outgunned a little bit on Saturday. This next matchup is is interesting to me for a lot of reasons because of where both teams sit. So it's not really, I, I think, one of the better games if you look at records on the slate this weekend, but I think it's compelling. South Carolina, Shane Beamer and Spencer Rattler and their crew who have struggled this year are heading to, t- to College Station to play Texas A&M. Texas A&M coming off a bye week. The numbers surprise me on this. A&M is favored by 14 and a half yeah. points against South Carolina. What are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I mean, this is is the battle of the two frustrated fan bases, isn't it, right? I mean, neither fan base is is particularly happy at this moment. Both coaches find themselves under a lot of pressure. Um, uh, And it's interesting, uh, last week we had Chris Phillips on the Spurs Up show on on the podcast, and he he very articulately kind of pointed out um, why... um, Gamecock fans are, are are not particularly happy with Shane Beamer at this this moment in time, and I, I think Shane Beamer's got got a style in a way about him. He obviously brings a lot of energy to it, but there are times where that energy just disappears and he flips to the other side. And I don't think it necessarily, from my perspective, befits a head coach some of the some of the stuff that comes come, comes away with him. Um, equally yep. on the Aggie side, oh, I mean that just feels like a disaster, right? And Aggies fans have been debating at what point Jimbo Fisher leaves the the, the program. Now, you know, Aggies are 2-2 in conference play, which is definitely not where they wanted to be. They're um, 4-3 overall. They're at home. I'm just not sure. I heard what you said last week about Spencer Rattler. I'm not, you know, will the police Spencer, will the real Spencer Rattler please stand up? That's the question, right? Because you just don't know what you're going to get with him. You look at how he played in the ball game, uh, sorry, the the game last year against Clemson, where he he was the player that people thought he was going to be. And then that was the, that was the, the, the catalyst to take into this season. That's why South Carolina were going to be, you know, contenders this year and and they're just not and it's the unpredictability of South Carolina which which worries me in this game and to your point about the spread you've got Texas A&M at home um they're not doing any great shakes on the offense either the defense can play they've got some very talented players on that defense yeah. I mean they have recruited incredibly well um Aggies fans are fed up with hearing Jimbo use the execution word, but do you know what I mean? At some point, you like to think, they're, they're, is there a point where they're going to click, right? Um, so yeah. I, I've got the Aggies in this game. This all depends which which South Carolina team turns up. Um, because if South Carolina that has been over the last few weeks turns up, then the Aggies could roll them and this end up looking like a good performance by the Aggies. If South Carolina want to come and play... Uh, but we know it's difficult. It's Kyle <clears throat> Kyle Field. That's a difficult environment to play in. Um, yeah, I can't see beyond the Aggies, to be perfectly honest. I, I, I'm on a real downward trend with South Carolina. 
Yeah, this is a difficult pick for me. James is picking South Carolina, and I think that's based on the number, right? I just don't think he thinks A&M's offense is going to beat anybody by two scores. And I think there's some validity to that, right? I I have serious misgivings about that Texas A&M offense. But to your point, Texas A&M has a stout front seven, especially their defensive line. And I do think that's a bit of a weak spot for South Carolina is their interior offensive line. And so I think there's an ability there for Texas A&M to get pressure, to create some havoc for Spencer Rattler. Um, this is this is tough for me. I think I'm going to be with James and pick South Carolina just because of the number. I think this is one of those games where A&M could control it the entire way out and win by two touchdowns, but Man, 14 and a half seems like a big number. And we always caveat on our show that there is a reason there are big buildings in Vegas and there are reasons that I'm not the one building them. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, so I, I think I'm going to go with the Gamecocks too. But, boy, both those programs have something amiss. And two fan bases that I think justifiably so are, are experiencing some frustration. Um, this is another game. Next game on the site that's really compelling to me. BYU heading to Austin to play Texas. BYU with Kadon Slovis at the helm, uh, seemingly has been in college since the Adams administration. Um, and, you know, Texas going to be without Quinn Ewers this week. Malik Murphy going to get his first start is what it's seeming like, who, by the way, Malik uh, Murphy, 6'5", 230, absolute grown man and throws a beautiful, beautiful football. Uh, it also means we are probably not going to see Arch Manning this weekend, although I have heard both sides of that coin that he may still see some run. Uh, but even with the backup in place, Texas is a 17.5-point favorite mm-hmm. at home. How do you feel about this one? I think this is really intriguing, to be honest, right? Um, and it's funny how many of the kind of – the. Um, <clears throat> Uh, uh, tie-ins with uh, USC, Clay Hilton, Keaton Slovis. Um, and, and I thought when Slovis came into the, well, I didn't need to think, everybody knew that when he came into that USC team um, and he knocked JT Daniels off of that that position, he was fantastic, right? He was a really, really good quarterback. But like Daniels, he's lost his way now. He's, he's become a bit of a journeyman. Um, BYU, always a difficult team to, to beat. The issue here, as you've mentioned, is that Quinn Ewers is injured. Um, they're going to they're going to blood in a new uh, quarterback. Um, I don't doubt um, what you're saying about his ability to throw the ball. Currently, his entire collegiate career consists of eight passes, and four of those were complete. So, I think it's a blessing that this game is in Austin uh, with a, with a home crowd. I think you have to bring in a new quarterback, you know, a proper new quarterback um, uh, on the road. <clears throat> Much more difficult situation. Um, I agree. I, I think that I think the numbers are are, are start, startling in terms of the, the the spread here. I think Texas. Um, I think Texas wins this game. Uh, it's by no means certain. Uh, I don't think they beat the spread. To be honest, I think it's a much closer game than. Um, than Vegas predicts. Yeah, I, my co-host James and I are with you. We're both taking BYU to cover this. I just I do not like that number with a first-time starter under center. I even even with it being in Austin, boy, seventeen and a half is a big number. And that BYU team is not bad. I think that's the other piece of it, right? It's not like they're playing little sisters of the poor. I mean, this is 
This is a team that's stout. They have played in tough road environments. They went to Fayetteville and beat Arkansas. They went to Kansas and played a game that was contested all the way into the fourth quarter, absent a couple defensive scores by KU. They probably win that football game. So, yeah, I just uh, – I like BYU to cover in this game. I, I by no means think they will win straight up, but um, I like them against I, And, and I, might, I might exaggerate the situation here, Seth, to be honest, but this might be Sarkeesian's worst nightmare because if um, the quarterback comes in and doesn't settle quick, those fans will want Arch Manning on the field. And, that, and, and, and right. as we've seen before, we saw it before at Oklahoma with Spencer Rattler – if the quarterback's not fancied and the fans get on his back early doors, then that's just a spiral. And and I, I Sarkeesian, Sarkeesian in no way wants or needs Manning on the field this year. He wants to settle him in and bed him in. He does not want to, to play him because the prospect of Manning getting injured is unthinkable in Texas. So what they want to do is just bed him in this year and get him ready to go next year. <coughs> so... Um, I think um, I don't think he's 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 going to he's going to play in this game, but I think it all depends on how quickly um, the quarterback settles. To be perfectly honest, yeah, I think I think that's a great point, a fantastic point, and certainly something compelling to watch as that game uh, kicks off at three thirty on Saturday. All right, another good game in the three thirty time slot. Oregon heading to Utah, always a tough place to play with Coach Whittingham's group. Um, Oregon is a six-and-a-half-point road favorite in this ballgame. Yeah. I think a big-time prove-it game for them and a way to reinsert themselves in not just the Pac-12 title conversation, but also the CFP conversation if they can go to Utah and get a win. But oh, how do you feel about this one? Well, I think this is, as, a, as the, um, the odds suggest, this is the toss of a coin, to be perfectly honest, right? I mean, I think what we're going to find out is um, if the Utah offense is uh, – as good as the win over USC suggested, or or was or <laughs> yeah. was USC actually just terrible? Well, we know they have no defense, right? So we, we can we can st- stop that nonsense. But you know, um, Oregon's a different beast, and as much as everybody is um, big on Washington, I, I think Oregon. If, if I was facing up to either of those teams tomorrow. I think it'd be more fearful of Oregon. And I did not think I would be saying that Bo Nix deserves to be in the Heisman running. Um, yeah. But he has looked like a transformed figure in that in that Ducks offense, to be perfectly honest. So I'm really torn with this one, right? I think the Utes are really difficult to play at home, um, but I also really like what I'm seeing from, from Oregon um, this could really go either way, to be perfectly honest. I'm going to pick, well, actually, I wrote Utah, but I'm going to pick Oregon because um, I'm talking myself into it. This this really is the toss of a coin, to be honest. This game's going to be super tight. Um, it may come down to uh, a game of brilliance or, sorry, a play of brilliance or an error. Um, I think that's what's going to decide it. Um, I like the fact that Oregon would then advance on and uh, people would really start to be talking seriously about them um, getting into the CFP playoff. You've joined a great tra- tradition on this show, and that's waffling from your original pick because <laughs> James, and I, James and I do that weekly. So so welcome to that process. <laughs> I, talk, I talk myself out of it. <laughs> I love that. 
Yeah, so uh, James and I are both going to take Oregon as well. Um, here's my thing about Utah, okay? I think there is an instinct to go, oh, Utah's offense is fixed, and we know they have a great defense, and we know Coach Whittingham's a great coach, and they have the home field advantage. And I think all those things are true. And obviously Utah had their way with Oregon last year. So there's all these things in play here. But the bottom line for me is year two of Dan Lanning's Oregon is different. And Dan Lanning is different. And I think that defense is different. I think they've got a different personality now. I think Bo Nix has shown, especially in that road environment at Husky Stadium against Washington, that he has arrived. I mean, he is the real deal Holyfield, and I agree with you. I think he has got every stake to a case to be in New York for the Heisman Trophy ceremony as anybody in the country. And, boy, I would not have told you that uh, 24 months ago. So they're a really fun story for me, and I I like where they're at. I like the way they play, and I think they go into Utah and get a very, very big win and set up for an epic showdown rematch with Washington in that Pac-12 title game. Yeah, yeah. Okay, this next one would be, I think, different – obviously, if we were talking about a fully healthy Riley Leonard. But compelling nonetheless, because we got two teams that are very much in the hunt in the ACC battle, with Duke heading to Louisville to play the Cardinals. And Louisville is a a three-and-a-half-point home favorite. They have kind of refound themselves with Jeff Brom at the helm, returning back home to Louisville, and are having a nice year. And, you know, Jack Plummer, the Cal transfer, has put together a solid season. They want to throw the ball around, have a lot of fun. Mike Elko's Blue Devils been one of the surprises of college football this year. How you feeling about this one? Yeah, I mean, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about Duke being the best team in the ACC, right? Um, and they really were kind of motoring, and, and, and the question is, have, have, the, have the wheels come off um, at, at this point? I should still favour them, to be honest. Um, I'm not sure why. I still think um, they have the potential to go into to, to Louisville. No, that's, a, that's, a, that's such a big. That would be that be a that be a statement win for for Duke because, as we know, you know a, a, a team that's going to struggle to get out the shadow of the of the, the the basketball success. It's really nice to see them doing so well this year. Um, I don't know. I just I just again the odds suggest this is going to be a really close game. Louisville clearly have the um, uh, the home advantage to them. Uh, sometimes I question how much of an advantage that is in the ACC, unless you're at Virginia Tech. Um, so uh, I'm going to go with Duke. Um, and, um, you know, I mean, the spread's pretty thin anyway, but uh, I think it's going to be a close game. James is going to pick Louisville. This is one I've hemmed and hawed on, but I think I'm going to go with Duke. Uh, you know, they've obviously had a couple of trip-ups, Notre Dame came and snatched one from them, and then they go to Tallahassee, and, and Tallahassee does what it does to people. And Florida State's athletes were just supreme, and that's going to happen. But I like Coach Elko. I like that defense. Something Kirk Herbstreet said on the broadcast last week struck me. He said, did you see – he was asking Chris Fowler, did you see Duke's roster during pregame? And he's like, some of those running backs look like – in years past, they would have been in Florida State's uniforms. And so I think that speaks to the recruiting that's been happening yeah. in Durham. And so I don't know, man. I, I'm with you. I don't know that Duke necessarily wins the game straight up, but I think it's a tight ball game. And I think maybe Louisville covers or uh, gets the win late. But but I like, I like Duke to cover in this. So I'm with you. I'm going to take the Blue Devils as well. All right, next one on the list. Who would have thought to say this, but a battle of very similar offensive styles this year. 
Tennessee going to Kentucky, both teams that have kind of found themselves playing solid defense, wanting to run the football. Not to say that Tennessee still doesn't want to stretch the field and Joe Milton can't throw it a thousand yards, but they're just built differently than they were last year. I mean, yeah. they are much more of a let's establish the run and then build off of that. And let's be honest, had Alabama on the ropes for a full half until they completely deconstructed in the second half. But Tennessee is a three-and-a-half-point road favorite going into Kroger Field in Lexington to play the Wildcats. Who do you like in this one? So this this is an intriguing game, to be honest, because I wonder if, I don't know, this this might sound like a naive statement, but I wonder if um, both of these teams, their, their offensive schemes have gone have changed because really they've got quarterback troubles, right? I mean, um, yeah, you know, you know, yeah. in in Nashville, the hype for Joe Milton was real. You mean yep. everybody had him one winning the Heisman? He was the darling of the SEC. You know, he's a massive guy. As soon as you saw him, you're like, oh my word, he's huge. Um, he could throw the ball seventy yards. Everybody thought, well, this is fantastic. Of course, you know, kind of turning that into winning performances. Um, what we what we found out fairly quickly that you know he's, he he wasn't Hendon Hooker right so um, yep. so and equally on the Kentucky side that that's been even though they are five and two two and two in SEC football that again is a, a disappointing season for Kentucky and you know that that that's a statement in itself right Kentucky in the same way yeah, as Duke is 100%. you know firmly basketball schools and now we're disappointed because they're five and two and you know in in, in the right. conference play. So what am I trying to say here? I, I'm not quite sure how this plays out. To be honest, this is the one game that I am, I'm really not convinced about. Kentucky at home should be a hard team to beat. Um, that Tennessee game against Alabama was really interesting. You know, like in the in the second half, um, Jalen Milrow played like Joe Milton, and. And they did in the first half, sorry. And Joe Milton played in the second half like Jalen Milrow played in the first half. Do you know it, it was a it was yeah. it was a proper game of two halves. Um, and to your point, I think Tennessee folded. Um, I don't know why that happened. Um, obviously Alabama made some changes at halftime. Uh, Milrow got more confident, started to use his legs, which I think is his his his, um, his main weapon. But but Tennessee capitulated, which which. Would not have happened last year, right? I mean, the, the team that just kept yeah. on going—they yep. just—they um, didn't know when to stop last year. So I'm not sure what what happens. I, I I kind of feel as if Tennessee should win this game outright, um, but honestly, I'm not sure how this game's going to to go. This is either going to be a really exciting game or a complete dull fest, right? It's going <laughs> yeah. to go one of two ways. <laughs> yeah. It's not going to be in the middle. So I think what I'm saying is I'm picking Tennessee to win outright. So James is going to pick Kentucky to cover. I don't know if he likes them to win straight up. I this is tough for me. I generally, if I am leery of both sides, I tend to try and pick who I think has the better quarterback. And for me, and I haven't seen them play a ton, but obviously I watched them play the entire Georgia game, and I thought Liam Cohen called a beautiful game against Georgia offensively. Devin Leary just couldn't execute, yeah. and so. It gives me great pause that everybody and their mama now knows that Kentucky is a one-dimensional team and that if we take Ray Davis away and we play just fine defense, we're going to be all right. Yeah. 
And so for me, I feel better about who Tennessee is as a team than I do about Kentucky. And look, Joe Milton is not Hendon Hooker. I don't even think he's close. I've said since media days that for me, I thought as the years progress and as this season progressed, Hendon Hooker's legacy would elevate. Because I think last year people said, well, Hendon Hooker was a product of Josh Heupel's system. And now I think what you're seeing is, no, Hendon Hooker was just an excellent, excellent football player. And so I think that's a piece of it, right? But I do think that the sum of the parts, the athletes are still better with Tennessee. And so, yeah, I'm going to take that. This is one I would not put real money anywhere near, though. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's a difficult one. And you're right, the Ray Davis point's a really good one. I think if you can stop him, then... Kentucky's offense cranes to a halt, um, which, which is which is quite a statement when Liam Collins come back, and that was meant to be the, you know, the missing link in the chain to to, to get things yeah. moving in the right direction. But I think yeah, you're right. I heard someone call it the Devin Leary experiment, and I don't know whether that's been disingenuous or not, but it's not it's not worked. That's for sure. No, no, it has not. It absolutely has not. Okay, the the next one, look. Three weeks ago, this would have been the thing we were talking about the most. Obviously, Colorado is in a valley of their season right now, but I still think they are an interesting football team, Mm -hmm. and they are going to the Rose Bowl to play Chip Kelly and UCLA. UCLA, which I never thought this would come out of my mouth about a Chip Kelly team, has one of the better defenses, not just Mm -hmm. in the Pac-12, but in America. Um, And they have struggled offensively. They're obviously playing a freshman in Dante Moore. There's been some ups and downs there they've been a bit turnover prone and it's bitten them Colorado still has a very exciting offense Travis Hunter getting healthier and healthier I think his injury has obviously severely impacted them but that ball team obviously dealing with some adversity as well compelling to me in this is that the spread is 16 and a half UCLA I don't think has the offensive prowess that Colorado does. Colorado obviously has problems stopping a nosebleed. So it's kind of a mismatch of strengths here. But how, how do you feel about this one, George? Well, I mean, this is this is amazing in so many facets, right? So I'll lay my cards on the on the on the table. I'm fascinated by UCLA, have been fascinated for the last four years under Chip Kelly, right? There's there's a coach that we didn't think was going to see the end of his first season um in, in Los Angeles. And slowly and steadily, he has built something there. Um, mm-hmm. yep. Now, have they reached the pinnacle? Have they reached the summit of what they're going to do? Not sure about that. But he's definitely going about something there. So my question about Colorado, I've not really been on the Colorado bandwagon at all this season. I don't want to sound as if I'm, I'm a prophet. I just, I just I can't say I'm a big fan of Deion Sanders, right? Um and and I think I'm in the minority there, so that's fine. I don't I don't mind that, but I wasn't really buying the, the the hype and stuff. My question, however, is how big of an impact does the Stanford game have on the confidence of the players? Now, if you believe in Dion Sanders, which the vast majority of people do, then that will just have become you know. It's gone. It's in the rear view mirror. We're not even going to talk about it. We're moving on to the next game. Of course, the next game is in the Rose Bowl, so that in itself is either going to be daunting or it's going to be exhilarating for his team. So again, this one's quite um, quite difficult to predict. Insofar as I think the spread is pretty pretty massive, right? Um, yeah. And and the yeah. question here is, 
like like you, I don't necessarily believe in the UCLA offense to that to that extent, right? I think people are building on the fact that the Colorado bubble has burst and therefore it's just going to be the car crash that some people thought is going to be from here until the end of the season. I don't buy into that. I think there are far too many talented players on that roster for them to it they might be they might be a little bit unpredictable from here until the end of the season, but I don't think it's going to be car crash TV. So in the Rose Bowl I fancy UCLA, but not with that spread. So I don't think they're going to beat the spread, but I think UCLA will win the game. Yeah, so James is going to take Colorado to cover. I think he's the same. I think his expectation is UCLA will win the ball game, but but Colorado will cover. And I'm on that boat too. Um, I will say this. In a lot of ways, this season has reminded me of uh, Coach Prime's early days at Jackson State. He is trying to shift a culture that has been bereft of winning football for so, so long. And he did it in the best way that he knew how, given the construct of the rules. And that was bring in as much talent as he could to revamp a roster that was bereft of it. And so I think there's something to that. I think where they falter, and Kirby Paul Smart is fond of telling you this, is that football, as complicated as it gets, is still a game at the line of scrimmage. And I think that's Colorado's issue is they are light on the defensive and offensive lines. They've had problems protecting Shadur Sanders. Um, They're just, it's just difficult. And I think you bring up a great point about that Stanford game. What does that do to the morale of the kids? But I will say this, Dion's a competitor. And I think you take the attitude and the personality in a lot of ways of your coach. And so I don't think this team is ever going to be lacking for confidence. So I still think they go out, especially in the bright lights in L.A. at the Rose Bowl, and try to put put on a show, you know. And I think there's enough offensive fireworks there for them to absolutely cover this spread. Again, I, I don't know that the Buffs win the game straight up, but but I like them against this number, especially given UCLA's struggles offensively. And, and listen, you know, as much as I kind of think I sounded like a really terrible statement to make, saying I wasn't on the Dion Saunders bandwagon, you have to you have to bear in mind where Colorado football was, right? I mean, Colorado football was the laughing stock of the of the of the Pac twelve, um, and you know Mel, Mel Tucker went there to revive its fortunes and very quickly either decided it wasn't for him or just decided to take the money and run to Michigan State anyway. So <clears throat> this was a team which is really in the doldrums, and I think people just don't quite appreciate how big a jump. Colorado is made in a short space of time. So Sanders really has to be lauded for the job that he's done in a short space of time, albeit open to criticism, but that's just Dion Sanders. That's the way he goes about things. Yeah. All right, next one is probably an interesting matchup to some folks, but it's a team I've been following all year, and that's UNLV, 7-1. and one. Barry Odom getting his second chance as head coach and making the most of it. Brennan Marion, their offensive coordinator, got them there running a super exciting offense. They are heading to Fresno State in a battle for uh, championship aspirations in that conference. Fresno State is a seven-and-a-half-point home favorite. Who do you like in that Well, one? this is an emotive pick for me, Seth. Um, when I first started traveling to the States, which was back in the – um, the nineties. I'm sure my age now. Um, my uh, my friend stayed in Las Vegas, and so I spent my formative years um back and forward to Las Vegas every every year for holidays. Now, um, 
I spent a lot of time, he worked at the university, I spent a lot of time on campus, I spent a lot of time on Maryland Parkway and the, and the bars there. Um, I, I love the running Rebels, always have had a soft spot for them. So for no other reason than that, I'm picking, I'm picking them. But what I would say is that not just with Barry Odom just now, but that, that the university decided to put some money into the football programme. They decide to put money into athletics. They didn't historically. They've never put money into the into the athletics program, and um, over the last ten years, they've decided to to put money into it and the money into the program. So UNLV used to be a bit of a you know you went there if you wanted to go to Vegas and the party town and all that kind of stuff, but frankly. Um, uh, you've got a change in the culture there, and Barry Odom has gone in and done a good job. So, um, as I say, it's an emotive pick for me, but I'm going to I'm going to pick the um, the Running Rebels for this one. Yeah, James is taking UNLV, and I'm going to take them too. And same with you, man. It's kind of a heart pick for me. The offensive coordinator there, Brendan Merriam, was a was the offensive coordinator at my alma mater, William and Mary, under Coach Mike London. He had followed him there from uh, Howard University, and Oddly enough, as college football always seems to line up, he was the offensive coordinator and Cam Newton's brother was the quarterback at Howard when they went to UNLV as 40-some point uh, odd numbered uh, underdogs and pulled off the biggest straight-up win with that kind of spread. So I think there's something a little bit romantic about him now being there and them having such success. So also his college quarterback was uh, Texas State coach G.J. Kenny. So – uh, college football is 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 always connected, but um, yeah, I'm going to take UNLV too. I think it's going to be a really fun game. Fresno State's a very good football team, uh, and both these teams in the hunt for the for the conference championship. So I think it'll be a lot of fun. All right, man. The reason that we are here, brother, world's <laughs> largest outdoor cocktail party. It is my favorite favorite week of the college football calendar. I absolutely love this game. It is one of only three neutral site games across college football, along with the Red River shootout and the army navy game and i just think there is something so beautiful about the pilgrimage for both fan bases to jacksonville the setup of rv city uh all the georgia fan base heading down to saint simon's and jekyll and amelia and having parties throughout the week and whatnot i I just think the culture of it is so fantastic so also george if you haven't been open invitation to come with the boys we'd love to host you and take you one year so um just let us know on that because it's absolutely an event. But Georgia is a 14-and-a-half-point favorite, which in a rivalry game like this, that number gives me a little bit of heartburn, I'm not going to lie. But how do you <laughs> feel about this one? So this is an intriguing game. So first of all, uh, definitely on my uh, my bucket list to, to, to come to. I, I, there's something vaguely romantic about the, the vast movement of both sets of stories supporting fans right I mean just the fact that I believe it might be equidistant I think there's a bit of debate about that but it's roughly equidistant which means that everybody travels to it which is such a and the concept of college football is is pretty unique I think right so that that was pretty cool um I mean Georgia should be deserve to be overwhelming favorites for this the question is uh, as we said many times in the last um in the last hour or so, um, which which Florida team's going to going to turn up right, and um, yeah. the record yep. isn't perhaps as bad at this stage as many had thought it might be. Uh, some people think that you know Billy Napier isn't the right person. 
many Florida fans don't think that Billy Napier is the right person to be in charge of this programme. But, you know, 5-2 and two at this stage with their two um, defeats coming to, um, I think probably, I'm not sure if they were ranked at that point, but, but certainly some, you know, some bigger names, uh, perhaps games that the Gators outside of their own support weren't, weren't expected to win. Um, so here's the point, right? Does Georgia get off to a slow start? Uh, does Georgia come out of the traps like they did in the last game? Um, uh, sorry, again, in the Kentucky game where they came out the traps flying and proved a lot of people wrong. If they do that and they build up a lead, game's over. Question here is, um, do they give Florida, do they open the gate a little bit, give them an inch and Florida gets in um, uh, for a score or maybe more to give them a bit of a head start? I'm not sure do this. Georgia defence doesn't give up much. Um, pretty stingy in that respect. I don't expect them to do it. You know, when we were at Media Days, Seth, everyone was saying Graham Mertz was the 14th best quarterback in the SEC, right? Um, he's, <laughs> yeah. he's, be- he's better than that, right? Uh, he's proven that. Um, and Florida's run game is is pretty good. Uh, I think they've, they've proven that over the piece. But against this Georgia defense, I just cannot see where the points are coming from, to be perfectly honest. I, I, you know, I guess as a neutral, I don't have to share your nervousness about going into a rivalry game. Rivalry <laughs> games do tend to throw up the unexpected. But, you know, this is not in the swamp. It's in a neutral field. Georgia are and will continue to be the number one team in the in the country. You know, we talked earlier about, you know, maybe where a slip up might come for Georgia. It's not in this game. So... Yeah, I think uh, I think the spread might be a bit right in this game. I, I think if uh, Georgia got off to a really good start, they could run up a what I would call a cricket score, um, and therefore <laughs> I think we end up with um, you know, Billy Napier can't afford a humiliating defeat here. This is what's really going to get his fans against him if Florida get humiliated. So he'll need his defense to step up. So I think you know a two score end up game could could difference could end up being about the right for both teams georgia get the victory napier escapes with um a humbling defeat but not too humbling and everybody moves on yeah so james is going to take the dogs and he's going to take them to cover which makes me laugh out loud because i know my boy is nervous as a long-tailed cat in a room for a lot of rocking chairs picking that but um yeah i i have some pause on the number 14 and a half in a rivalry game like this seems a little high. I mean, I look, I think if Brock was playing, I'd feel a lot more different about that from a confidence perspective. Here's the thing, too. If I did my math right, I believe on Saturday it will be Graham Mertz's, Mertz's 40th career college start. Mm. If you combine the games that he started at Wisconsin and what he's done this season with Florida. And so you can't discount that, right? That's a, that's a ton of experience under center. Obviously had a great game against a South Carolina team that – has some issues, but Ricky Pearsall is a fantastic, fantastic uh, wideout, and they do a nice job. The thing I think they will struggle with is in their run game because, as we talked about earlier, the thing that has given Georgia problems is these edge contain issues when there's been a running quarterback. Well, Graham Mertz is not just a zero threat run. He is a negative threat to yeah. run. <clears throat> so um, they don't really have to worry about that. And I think that Florida offense has to establish some semblance of the run game so that Georgia can't just decide to pin its ears back and come at Graham Mertz and make him uncomfortable all day. And so the other piece of it is, is outside Pearsall, 
what weapon scares you? Who is that secondary weapon that's going to get loose and bust some big plays? Because I think the path forward for Florida against Georgia has to be win the turnover battle and win the explosive play battle. And look, the turnover thing could happen, right? Georgia could self-inflict and have some wounds, but I just don't see the explosive part of the equation happening. Kirby is notorious, and we posted his clip this week from the 2021 game. He has such a passion for this rivalry, and he loathes Florida. And I just think that disdain rubs off on his team. They generally, unlike past regimes, always come out ready for this ballgame. And so I expect him to be that way. I think he has probably been in their ear the last two weeks telling them that everybody in America doesn't think they're a good football team because Brock Allen Bowers can't play. And so I think there's going to be a lot of juice there on the Georgia side. So although it makes me nervous, I am going to take the dogs to cover as well. Um, I think it's going to be a good day to be the dogs. And I think it's also an opportunity for them to put a foundational cinder block in the ground uh, when it comes to this big four-game stretch and say, look, we're building towards Atlanta in the first week in December. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with the dogs. Although 14 and a half in a <laughs> cocktail party weekend, I feel like there are a lot of boogeymen on that St. John's River, George. <laughs> I, I, I think I think it'll be okay. And, and, I, and I, we talked about this earlier. I do genuinely believe that they're building momentum at the right part of the season now. Who cares about what happened at the start of the season? You know, they're unbeaten all the way through. And the one thing I said right at the start was that as the season went on, the pressure should build in Georgia because they're, they're, they're trying to achieve something that hasn't been done in modern-day college football. But actually, mm-hmm. you don't get any – I don't get any feel for that at all. You speak – you see yeah. players, Agreed. you speak to Kirby, there's nothing. There's no – you know, and that, I think, is incredible. Uh, so to me, they're just a machine, and they'll just keep it on going. And you know, I I, I wouldn't be betting against Georgia um, for the for the three P. I know you'll be nervous about hearing that 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 chat already, but I don't I don't see a team in college football that's that's going to beat them this season. Well, Georgia, feel good about your picks. I think you're going to have a good week this week. Um, we will be watching intently. And brother, thank you so much for spending time with us. Uh, so glad that I got to meet you in Nashville this summer and, uh, and establish a friendship with you and just absolutely love what y'all do on College Chaps. And for all of our listeners, please tell them how they can support you, follow you, and support the podcast. Yes, thank you, Seth. And I appreciate the opportunity. It was fantastic to meet you in Nashville. Uh, and that's the beauty of all this. And the beauty of the college football, or the Southern college football community, to be perfectly honest, as I said, everyone has been so welcoming and so nice. Um but uh, if you haven't checked out the uh, the podcast, please do. You can find us find us on Twitter. Well, it's X now uh, at the College Chaps, um, uh, College Chaps, the College Football Chaps podcast on uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, and I do some writing, um, which you can you can find um, at the, um, the touchdown.co.uk. So any one of those kind of mediums will get you in touch. But feel free to reach out on on Twitter X or Instagram or whatever it might be and I'm happy to get into a dialogue about college football. And we will link all that in our show notes and y'all make sure and go and support George and go and support College Chaps. Uh, The passion is just unmatched. Uh, They always have outstanding guests. They do an awesome job 
And uh, I can attest outstanding people as well. So make sure and support them and be the biggest advocates for them that you can. And uh, everybody enjoy this weekend of college football and go dogs. Hey, George is better now.